0: Paul writes, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is God's word for us today. Brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. Just uh, by way of introduction last week, uh, for those who haven't been with us, we've, been going th- we've started going through the book of Galatians and we heard about intruders who had come into the churches of, in the regions of, Ga- of Galatia last week. They were preaching Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus keeping food laws, Jesus plus Keeping all the laws of Moses was the way to salvation. And what we talked about was Jesus plus anything else actually equals no gospel at all. It's Jesus Christ alone. And Paul explodes in this letter saying that you add anything to Jesus, you've got nothing. What you have is the rod of slavery across your back that will push you and push you to the point of despair and legalism, pharisaism, religion, religion, Instead of resting in Jesus Christ and in His grace, and so this morning uh, Paul moves on, but he's still setting up for what's to come, and uh, that's where we find him today. I just want to ask you a quick question: If you know, uh, you, do you know if you're a pointer or a painter? You heard of pointers and painters? Yeah. Who's a pointer? Mel Beck. You're painters. You all like to paint a big picture, do you? Is that what you like to do? What am I? I like to think that I'm a pointer. Am I a pointer? No, I'm really not a pointer. I'm a painter as well. Pointers get very frustrated with painters, don't they? And vice versa as well, it actually works. And it feels today like Paul is actually painting a massive portrait in Galatians 1. A lot of painting. He's still talking about the gospel not being of human origin, but uh, but actually a divine revelation, and we might have expected actually that he made his point uh, at the beginning in Galatians 1, 1 to 5 last week, but he's still going, he's still talking about this. Paul's not necessarily a painter, he just has a very, very, very big point to make, and that's where we're going today, as we think and talk about divine intervention in our lives, and not only divine intervention in our lives, but in the lives of the people that we know and love as well. Uh, and so as you look at these pictures, I just want you to think um, they are not the same thing. They are two very different things. Okay? You have the gospel on one side and you have changing behavior on the other. Um, and that flows out of a true and a false gospel. There are lots of opinions here about the Bible today. There are lots of opinions outside about what the Bible is and they'll be in this room. As we gather, lots of opinions about what the Bible actually is. And you might think it's pointless to engage in a conversation about where the Bible comes from, but it actually becomes critical. It becomes critical. What would it mean if the gospel was a human construct? What would it mean if the gospel was a human construct? Merely human ideas. What were the Galatians thinking when the intruders who had infiltrated these churches made out that Paul was not a real apostle, that he hardly even knew the other apostles and that he'd messed up the preaching of the word and had given them Paul's version of the gospel, a human version with all that grace and righteousness flowing from faith stuff. Um, and not the real thing which the intruders claimed to have, which was a message of Jesus plus all their laws and regulations and directions. Who actually had the human uh, gospel, the human origin gospel? It was actually the intruders. It wasn't Paul at all. It's actually upside down. But what would it look like if the gospel was simply a purely human construct? Will you imagine someone walks into Trinity Lutheran Church today? And you imagine they walk in here and they're completely depressed and downcast. And you imagine that they're, they're broken. They've got a really bad conscience. They've had an affair. Their partner is gone. They've got nothing. They're at the lowest of low points. And now what we do is we give them the gospel according to the intruders. And we say, wow, that's awful. You've really broken all of God's laws. In fact, you're a terrible person. But God is loving. So how are you going to make amends and earn back God's grace and favor in your life? And they say, what can I do? I can't do anything. I'm completely lost. I'm, I'm, I'm down and out. I need help. Well, we say, here's the good news. Don't do it again. And if you work really, really hard for the rest of your life, obey God and do what he tells you, then you can make things right. But you have to make some positive changes in your life. You have to change your behaviour. You have to turn over a new leaf and start again. And unfortunately, as I thought about this, it became obvious that often in our relationships, that's how we treat each other. We don't proclaim very much grace to one another, but we talk to people as if you have to earn my love, you have to earn my favour, you have to earn from me, you have to prove something to me in order for me to actually love you. Is that the gospel, yes or no? It is not the gospel. Is it even possible... Seriously, that person who walks into Trinity Church or any other church walks out, they haven't heard the gospel at all. They've heard that the way to redeem yourself, as if that was even possible, is is that you turn over a new leaf. You just change your behavior. You just try harder, make some adjustments, tweak your life, swallow some chicken soup and, and try hard to stay on the right path. Law, 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 law. Law is law is law. You might as well say, you know what, you've done. Give up now. You're never going to live up to that. You're never going to achieve the standards. And that's often how we treat each other. We set people up for failure because we say, you have to work really hard. You have to earn my respect. You have to earn all this. And they never can because we're simultaneously, friends, saints and sinners. We never actually live up to that. This is a false gospel that's saying that you have it in you to turn over, a new leaf, turn over a new leaf and live a life that's pleasing to God. In other words, to put it biblically, it says that the old Adam, the old sinful nature, the old way of thinking, which we and Paul calls the flesh, even though it is completely hostile to God, is capable of making things right with God. How can your sinful nature that causes you to be as dead as the butterfly in that box on the altar, dead, 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 no life in you, how can that nature, by a few attitude adjustments, turning over a new leaf, and even with a few or a thousand new rules and laws to follow to keep it in check, how can it become pleasing to God and be be saved? It can't, it's a lie. It's a false gospel. You and I don't need to turn over a new leaf. We actually need divine intervention in our lives. We need divine intervention, not the kind of divine intervention that wins State of Origin games, not the kind of divine intervention that Aussies joke about. Oh, I need a miracle now. Gonna need a miracle, we're stuffed. Gonna need God to actually jump in here and do something. We need real God with us and for us, divine intervention. Intervention that goes beyond trying to tweak our behaviour or piety, but intervention that brings about newness of life through real gospel truth, not just metaphorically, not just as an analogy, as some spiritual analogy, but real up-close and personal divine intervention, God coming to you in your life. And this kind of intervention is confronting Because our sinful nature thinks that, our flesh thinks that it can actually make things right without any help. Thank you very much. I'm okay. But real divine intervention is life-changing and it needs to be. It needs to be life-changing. That's what Paul is referring to today. He's saying, do you folk remember who I was? Do you remember me? Do Do you remember who I used to be? I mean, just take a look at my life. It's completely changed direction. How does that even happen? If living by the rules was what, what it takes for me to be right with God, why did I give that up? I mean, as for uh, legalistic righteousness, a Pharisee, faultless, my zeal as a law keeper was right up there. It was all mine as a Pharisee already if it was about walking in the flesh. Why did I stop breathing out murderous threats though? Why did, I, why did I stop persecuting the Lord's disciples? Why did I stop taking prisoners? Why did I stop stoning Christians? I had it all according to the law if that's what it takes. Why are people who knew me by reputation because I had a big one. People were scared of me. If they heard I was coming, they would would flee. But why are those same people who who feared me by reputation, why are they praising God now because of me? Because of divine intervention in my life. Remember Ananias? What happened to Ananias when divine intervention (laughs) confronted him in a vision about Saul? Do you remember what happened, Acts chapter 9? In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. All going really, really well so far. God is speaking to me. Yes, Lord, here I am. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, getting nervous, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias at this point, I imagine he's just freaking out. Freaking out. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You serious? You want me to go there? You want me to actually touch him? He's scared of Saul. He's scared. No mere human encouragement, no gospel of welling up out of the human heart of human origins, would move Ananias even a even one inch closer to Saul, this guy who is so fearful of. No way. He needed personal intervention from the living Lord Jesus with great power to speak directly into his life in the midst of his fears and say, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. That intervention moved Ananias from fear to trust and confidence in God's ways and to go so close to this guy, Saul, who he feared so much that he would lay his hands on him and pray, touch him in the flesh. And not only that, stepping out in faith, To see the scales fall from Saul's eyes. The gospel, the pure gospel, is a spiritual, supernatural gospel. Otherwise, nothing would ever happen in the church, in the lives of Christian people, in here, out there. It just wouldn't happen. But, brothers and sisters, what happened to Saul that day by divine intervention? And I'm talking about on the Damascus Road and by the laying on of hands. What change happened in Saul? And by by, what what happened to him that made everything uh, that's welling up now in Paul as he writes this letter to the Galatians and to us? What happened? What change is he talking about? Did Saul make some changes to his behaviour? Did he tweak his attitude? Say, I I need to I need to turn over a new leaf and think a bit differently here. I need to follow some rules, change my behavior. No, he didn't. Saul was crucified by divine intervention. Saul was crucified with Jesus and he died with Christ along with all of his murderous threats. Saul died with all his threats and stonings and life according to a rule book. It was all crucified and put to death through the cross in Jesus' body. Saul was crucified and Saul was never to rise again. Saul was never to come back to life. He's dead. But by the power of the Spirit, a new man arose that day. A new man, a new creation, given a new name, which is not Saul, but Paul. Saul is crucified, dead. Paul is the new creation. The flesh is evil. It will not be raised on the last day to eternal life. It will not inherit that. The flesh cannot change its ways. It will always be opposed to God. And so God in his infinite wisdom makes everything new. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation for the old has gone and the new has come. For all of you who believe and are baptized into Christ Jesus, this is the power of God at work in your life. For all who call on the name will be saved. The old is crucified with Christ on on the cross. The old you and the new comes to life. And so if you've ever wondered why you experience such a spiritual battle going on in your members, in your flesh, in your body, internally, in your mind... Thinking, conflict, contention, what do I do? If you've ever had that, and I believe that probably every Christian does, that old sinful nature that has been crucified with Christ, which has been destroyed, it also remains until the completeness and fullness of time when Jesus Christ returns. It's dead, it's defeated. But until then, it wages war against the new person, against the new creation that the Lord has raised up in you by his spirit. This is the power of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is testifying to today. If his gospel was rooted in human ideas, it would not contain any power. It would not bring new life. It would not bring renewed hope as the real gospel does and is doing in our midst, even now. And this is the gospel, friends, that the Lord is pursuing you with today. He's pursuing you with this. This is the divine intervention you heard when you confessed your failings and your sins and heard the word of life from the lips of Jesus Christ. I forgive all your sins In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. That's not my words. That's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to you by the authority and command of Christ, not Vaughn Spring. I'm the messenger. The Lord is the one who speaks into your life. That powerful word. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and there is salvation. And this is where the new creation lives and moves and reaches beyond the walls of this building to share that love and that hope and that grace and that newness and that freedom and that liberty from captivity. That's where you live. That's where you move. That's where you have your being in the new creation, in the power that has come to you through that word of life. But they'll only come to life in you. You only really understand it through your ears and your eyes and your heart and your body and soul when through the word of God you realize that your own sinful flesh is actually lying to you. It takes the Word of God, it takes the intervention of the Spirit in your life for you to actually realise that and come to know that. Otherwise, you hear the Gospel, you hear Jesus died for my sins with a grain of salt. If you think you're okay, if you think you can do it on your own, if you think you're not really in need of forgiveness, then you'll hear the Gospel, you'll hear the proclamation, the forgiveness of sins in the same light, right? But when the word of God does its work in you, when the Holy Spirit brings you to that understanding that you have a sinful nature in you, that you can't do it on your own, that you need divine intervention, and then you realize, oh, wow, the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, liberty, freedom, no more captivity, no more slavery. Jesus has saved me. I'm a new creation in him wonderful, liberating news. That's why people cry in church sometimes. It's why tears flow. And it's just a sign that a sinner has heard the sweet sound of Jesus' voice proclaiming that freedom and that release from captivity into their heart through the gospel. And that realisation, friends, happens in God's time Paul said today in verse 15, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, but when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, maybe that time is now for you. I don't know. Maybe that time is now for you because God has ordained by his spirit that you would see him for who he truly is, that you would see the cross of Jesus Christ for what it truly means for you, in your heart, in your life. Maybe you're seeing for the first time your own sinful nature as it truly is. Or maybe like Ananias, God is intervening in your life to bring comfort and relief and rest, rest from fear and leading you to a new place, stepping out in faith together with him. Either way, the Lord is present with you. The Lord is with you. I don't know all the challenges that you're facing. I don't know all the things that are going on in your life. Man looks at outward appearances, but God examines our hearts. God does know. He sees you as you really are. And the Lord is intervening for you. The Lord is intervening for the people you long for and the people you're praying for and the people you're serving, the people you're sharing your faith with. He is intervening all in his time and always, always through the true gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. There is no other way. And so today, if you're here and you are in need, of your heavenly Father's divine intervention. If you have need, call out to him in prayer. Ask someone to pray for you. The Lord is near and he always hears the cries of his children and he is at work drawing all people to himself through his son, Jesus. In him you are a new creation. Peace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your divine intervention into human history, where you sent your only son to be born and to take on human flesh and to crucify it on the cross and to bear all the sin and hatred and lust and pain that we carry around with us all on his body in the cross and that you rose again by your power. We pray, Father, that that power would be at work in our lives, that you would be intervening for us with your word of release, with your word of rest and comfort for the tired and weary. We pray that you would fill each each of us with your Holy Spirit, And call us where you're calling us and leading us to go, all in your time. And Father, where we're worried about certain people or we're serving and not seeing things happen in the way that we would want it to see. Help us to rest in you and to trust and to know that it's all when you work, when you move, in your timing, according to your goodwill and pleasure. But you are never sleeping. You don't slumber or sleep, but you're always with your people and you're always with us. Fill us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and keep them safe in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.